have a Bible this morning, turn to the book of 3 John. After starting a new diet, I altered my drive to work to avoid passing my favorite bakery. I accidentally drove by the bakery this morning. And as I approached, there in the window were a host of goodies. I felt this was no accident, so I prayed. Lord, it's up to you. If you want me to have any of these, those delicious goodies, create a parking place for me right in front of the bakery. And sure enough, on the eighth time around the block, there it was. <laughs> God is good. We've been talking about thriving versus surviving. Do you ever feel like you, you go through a season in your life that, that kind of feels like, well, I, I, I'm surviving. I, I'm making it from this thing to, to this thing. But, but, but you don't feel like you're thriving. God created you to thrive. And the kingdom of God, it's, it's an amazing thing. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly, abundantemente. He came to give us an abundant life. Now, I, I know that some would, you know, try to spiritualize that and say, well, that, that means heaven. And, and certainly, you know, heaven's going to be an amazing place. There is no lack in heaven. Heaven is, a, is definitely a place of, of great prosperity. But, but see, that's the nature of the kingdom. When Jesus was here on this planet, living and walking out, he was not subject to the limitations of this planet because he was actually tapped into and living out of the kingdom of God. Think about that for just a moment. There were certain limitations that he encountered, but it didn't seem to affect him. He fed thousands of people with a boy's lunch. He raised the dead. He healed the sick. He turned water into wine. He paid Peter's taxes by singing and fishing and say, said, out of the mouth of the first fish, you'll find the money you need to pay your taxes. Jesus didn't live subject to the limitations because he was tapped into a supernatural source. And see, our mandate from Jesus himself was to bring heaven to the earth. It was for the things of heaven to be, to be released into the earth. In fact, when his disciples said, teach us how to pray. Now remember, they've been watching this guy. Uh, do I need to turn something on? Is it this? Okay. You're right, it's not following me. So here's Jesus, tapped into a supernatural source, and living out of that source. And they're, and they're watching Jesus do this, and so they, they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Lord, teach us how to pray. And part of that prayer was, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. 
as it is in heaven. Now think about that. God wants the, the abundance of heaven to be released into the earth. He wants the resources of the kingdom to be released. He wants his goodness to be made known, and he wants to use you to do it. I was thinking about the verse of scripture this morning. That, that it's, in, it's in Habakkuk, and, and he says that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth. The glory of the Lord. And I, and I immediately thought of Moses' encounter with God in Exodus 33, when, when Moses is talking with God, and finally Moses says, Lord, show me your glory. Do you remember what he said? He said, I will cause all my goodness to pass before you. God wants the world to know just how good he is. And he wants to use you to show them. You know, your job and mine is, is we're on an assignment to make Jesus famous in the earth. Now, we've been looking at this scripture in 3 John 2. It says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. God desires that we prosper in all things and that we be in health in direct relationship to as our souls prosper. Now, I want to ask you a question. Do you really believe that? Do you really think that God wants you to prosper? Now, what I'm really asking is this. Has that truth gotten inside of you? See, it's not about what we believe or think we believe on the surface of our understanding. It's about what gets inside of us. That's what we really believe. That's where we live from. If I say I believe something, but I live like I don't, it's because that belief is just up here. It's a wannabe belief. I want to believe that, but it hasn't gotten into my core, into my heart yet. In your notes, it says we get his truth inside of us that we are changed. And see, when that begins to happen, we start thinking differently. We start talking differently. We start acting differently because his truth is transforming us. The psalmist said it this way, Psalm 51, verse 6, he was talking to God. He said, behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. And in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. God, you desire your truth in my inward parts. And see, when his truth gets inside of us, we begin to walk in the wisdom it brings to our life. Now, I know we've looked at these next two verses often over the last couple of years, but I, I keep finding God bringing me back to them. The, the Gospel of John, chapter 8, I'm beginning with verse 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed. So these are the Jews that have begun to recognize and embrace Jesus as their Messiah. And Jesus is saying, now that you believed, this is what you need to do now. This is what discipleship looks like. Versículo 32. If you abide in my word, 
You are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Verse 32. Discipleship has everything to do with our relationship with the Word of God. What are we doing with the Word of God? Is it, ju is it just a nice book, you know, that sits on a certain table in your house? Or is it something that you begin to recognize that this is the wisdom I need to navigate through life? This is, the, this is a, a, a word from the God who created me, instructions for living. When we recognize the value of this book, we begin to put a priority on it. And Jesus said, if you abide in my word, if you live in my word, then indeed you are my disciples. And, the, and what's going to happen is you're going to know the truth and the truth is going to set you free. His, his word will begin to get inside of you. And when you know the truth, you develop an intimacy with truth. And that truth becomes a liberating force in your life that will set you free from the lies of the enemy. The truth will make you free. Now, we've been specifically talking about relational prosperity that you might prosper in all things. Now that word prosper, it really means that, that things will go well. Don't you think that God wants things to go well in every area of your life? And don't you think that includes your relationships? You know, the truth is, relational prosperity is actually the most important one. Relationships, you can take those to heaven, but everything else, no. Relationships have eternal value. And see, when our relationships are going well, it affects everything in our life. When my relationship is going well with my wife, I have more prayer power. Did you know that? It, when, when our relationships, when, when we're allowing strife or when we're allowing things like that into our relationship, it affects our, our ability to pray and, and see things released. So relational prosperity, what is that? It, the, the phrase I like is authentic community. So in your notes, biblical, or relational prosperity equals authentic community. Are we living in authentic community with the body of Christ? With the local church that God has planted you in? Are you authentic and real in your spiritual family? Are there people that can speak into your life? And see, that's really a big one. Today, I had originally planned on just sharing more reasons why we need community. And there's, you know, we could look at all kinds of scriptures about that. But I realized several days ago, I'm not going to quite get that far, because I want to first draw a picture to us, the, uh, for us this morning, using Ephesians 2, Ephesians 4, and 1 Corinthians 12 to do it. Now, these passages are talking about how we are to function as a body, the body of Christ, as a family, the family of God. You know, it's amazing when you think about it, but we have been adopted into a family, God's family. 
And you know, families can differ from one another. Some families have this etiquette, others maybe have different practices, but what is the etiquette for the family of God? What is the, what is the protocol for the kingdom? You were adopted into the family of God when you became a Christian. God brought you into his family and he calls you his child. But see, you have to choose to participate in family life. You must choose to, to, to integrate into his family. See, only you choose the level of your involvement. But know for certain, God wants you all in. He didn't adopt you into his family to live outside the family. He didn't adopt you into his family so you could run off and kind of do your own thing. Now, Ephesians 2.19 says, Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You are part of God's house now. You are members of his household. This is not a normal earthly family. We have been plucked out of a lost and dying and disconnected world and placed into a family for connection, for family relationship. You are no longer an orphan. You are a child of God. And see, we were never meant to live independently from each other. We are referred to as the body of Christ. And see, no part of a body can function on its own, apart from the rest of the body, apart from the church. And it, it just doesn't work that way. You know, I've seen, I've seen some people flounder for years and years, and it grieves my heart because I think, what a waste. I think of the potential they have, but instead of letting God plant them into a local church, they just kind of want to do their own thing. Now, I, I think sometimes people get in this place because they've been hurt. They, they might have been in, a, in an unhealthy church environment, and, and I understand that. I've been hurt too. Many have. Probably most have. You know, whenever you get involved with people, there's opportunity to be hurt because we are imperfect. But instead of getting healed and, and moving forward, Sometimes people just kind of try to run off and do something for God apart from the church. But it, but it just doesn't seem to pan out. Now, let me try to explain why. And I want to read a rather long portion of Scripture. Are you okay if we look at the Bible today? Right answer. Uh, it, let's listen to what the Apostle Paul is saying here in light of the things that we're talking about. I mean, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. Now he's comparing the human body that we all have. How many here have a human body? Three or four of you. The rest of you are released. So, so he's comparing the human body that we all have with the body of Christ that we are all a part of. Verse 13, For by one spirit we were baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. See, it doesn't matter where we came from 
or what we were before. We have been baptized into the, into the, by, by his spirit into one body. Verse 14, for in fact the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, behold, I'm not a hand. I'm not part of the body. Is it, is it therefore not of the body? It's a rhetorical question with very obvious answer. Verse 16, and if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Another rhetorical question with the same answer. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? We need every part of our human body in order to function completely, and the same is true with the body of Christ. Verse 18, but now God has set the members, each one of us, in the body as he pleased. God is the one who sets the members of the body in place. He does it according to his good pleasure. He knows you. He created you. He knows what he created you to do in the body of Christ. And see, purpose is found in discovering what he created me to do. Purpose is found in me fulfilling my calling rightly connected to the body of Christ. Verse 19, and if, there were, if they were all one member, where would be the body? Where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. God positions us and he gifts us according to his good pleasure. And we are all members of his one body. And again, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Every one of us need each other. I need the gifts that God has given you for the body. To fully express Jesus Christ, every part is necessary. Verse 22, no, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable on those we bestow greater honor and our unrepresentable parts have greater modesty but our presentable parts have no need but God composed the body having given greater honor to that part which lacks it now the reason behind him doing all of this what we've just been reading about is summed up in the next three verses that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. That's a powerful passage of scripture. And Paul doesn't mince words. He is comparing our physical body with the body of Christ, your hand cannot function apart from your body. The moment it is disconnected from your arm, it ceases to function properly. Oh, it might jump around and, you know, all kinds of commotion, like a chicken with his head cut off, but it was designed to be part of the body. It was designed to be rightly connected to the body. And see, the only way we are rightly connected to the head and Christ is the head of the church. The only way we are rightly connected to the head is when we are rightly connected to his body. Whew. 
If my arm decided to separate itself from my body and, and do its own thing, it can't possibly be effective. There is no way that, that my arm will prosper. It will end up shriveling up and dying. Now, I know that seems like a pretty crude analogy, but I'm drawing this from the Apostle Paul. Psalm 92. You guys doing okay? Psalm 92 reveals some key truths to us, and I love this scripture because it rescued me. At a point in my life when I needed to be rescued, I needed to hear this, and the Lord made it come alive to me. See, when I was a young Christian, I had gotten saved, but I did not understand the value of church. I was a hippie who became a Jesus freak, but I, I, I brought with me into my Christianity some of the rebellion, the, the rebellious spirit of my generation. My generation was rebelling against the establishment. And I brought that, that spirit, that rebellion with me, and I, and I cloaked it and justified it in my Christianity. But I, but I see, I had this disdain for the, the church establishment. I had this cocky, <coughs> arrogant attitude that, you know, we were taking Jesus to the street. We were doing what the church was supposed to be doing. And I had this, this bad attitude towards the church. So I was bouncing around in different churches. And see, in my mind... I was going to have this great ministry. I had seen Catherine Coleman as a, as, a, as a new Christian. My parents took me to Portland, and oh my goodness. You know, you, some, some things change your life, and that was one for me. And then I got to know Charles and Francis Hunter a little bit, and uh, they had an impact on me too. And, and in my mind, I was going to have this great ministry, and I'd already started seeing people get healed and things like that. But in truth, listen to me, in truth, I really wanted to do my own thing outside of the restriction of anyone else's input because that was the spirit of my generation. I still embraced this, this rebellious spirit and I was, I was trying to justify it in my Christianity. And I began to realize that God's thing is the church. It's his house, his vehicle of operation in the earth. And I remember reading this verse one day, and it just exploded. Psalm 92, verse 13. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. See, the very thing that I was doing was not letting myself get planted. I had a, a commitment issue in my life. Really, I wanted to do my own thing. Out from under anybody else's authority, it was just me and God. And if you knew me then, you would have known I was not in a place to let anyone speak into my life. In my mind, I was going to have my own ministry. I was going to do great things for God. And then I read verse 13. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish 
in the courts of our God. And I remember Jesus saying, I will build my church. And I began to realize, I began to see it from God's perspective. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. To declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. And that day, while I was reading this passage, I realized I had been trying to do my own thing and trying to get God to put his stamp of approval on my thing. But I suddenly realized that the church was his thing. And that was the moment when his thing became my thing. And I let myself be planted in a local church, and I, I knew it was the place I was supposed to be, and that ministry, whatever that would look like, would actually come out of that. I, I just gave all of that to the Lord. I positioned myself for others to speak into my life. I actually invited it. I knew that, that I would flourish if I made his thing my thing. And see, there's a big difference between trying to get God to bless my thing and just getting involved with his thing, which is already blessed. And it changed my life. I stopped trying to do something for God. And I got involved with what he was doing. See, in this day that we are living in, sometimes we end up letting the world influence our thinking, and we don't even realize it. You know, follow your dreams. Follow your passion. If you don't understand that from a kingdom perspective, you will end up off track. Now, I want to say something to you. God created you for greatness. Every single one of you. But sometimes we have greatly misunderstood what that looks like. And it's, this, this misunderstanding, it's, it's not new. Even the disciples struggled with it. Let's look at that. Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. In this portion of scripture, the disciples had walked with Jesus for a while now. Verse 20, then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? And she said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit on your right hand and on the, on the, uh, and the other on the left in your kingdom. <laughs> I mean, who do these guys think they are sending their mom in to ask Jesus? What's going on here? It's a misguided attempt at greatness. Now, I said to you earlier that God created you for greatness. And I believe that with all my heart. But be careful you don't look at greatness through the eyes of the world. Make sure that you are looking at it through the lens of the kingdom. Versiculo 22. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. 
Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? And they said to him, we are able. So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by the Father. Jesus asked them, are, are you able to drink from my cup? Are you willing to be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? What is he asking them? He's asking them, are you willing to suffer like I'm going to suffer? Are you willing to lay down your life for the gospel? That's really what he's asking here. Verse 24, and when the ten heard it, <laughs> they were greatly displeased with the two. See, there were the 70 that followed Jesus, that knew Jesus on a certain level, and he sent them out to go town to town. But then there were the 12. There were the 12 that knew him even better, that he spent more personal time with. But then there were the three, Peter, James, and John. They had a special relationship with Jesus, but here's James and John through their mom vying for an even greater position. And of course, it ticked off the other disciples. But Jesus is about to teach them what greatness looks like in the kingdom. Sharpen your spiritual pencils. Write this down, verse 25. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them, Greatness in the world is exercised through lording it over others, telling people what to do, exercising authority. In the world, it's all about them and how great they are. Verse 26, yet it shall not be so among you, not in my kingdom. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now he's not saying not to seek greatness. But he is telling us what greatness looks like in the kingdom. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, if you want to be great in God's eyes, become a servant. Pour out your life serving others. In your notes, greatness is the king, in the kingdom is measured in pouring your life out for others. That's exactly what Jesus did when he died on the cross. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He laid down his life for his bride. And see, we are called to lay down our lives for the bride also. If you, if you want notoriety for anything other than that, you have stepped out of the kingdom into something else. Wherever God has placed you, let yourself be planted. Let your roots go down deep relationally. Let others speak into your life and pour yourself into serving others. Do you know what will happen if you do that? You will get all the training you need on the job 
to do everything that God has called you to do. Because you have positioned yourself for others to speak into your life and that which would hinder you in any way from fulfilling God's purpose for your life, those things will be exposed and dealt with. They're always heart issues. And you will grow amazingly quickly. But see, when people skip that process, they flounder. And they, they, they can't figure out why. Coming under authority and serving others is the training ground for everything in the kingdom. Your gifts and callings will come forth. And you will prosper or flourish in the house of the Lord. Everything that God has for you will come into fruition. You will not miss out on anything he has for you. Now, I want to say something. Are you guys with me so far? Does it make sense what I'm saying? Um, greatness comes out of identity. Do you know who you are? Oftentimes, people try to experience identity through what they do. Well, I'm a really good golfer. I'm, I'm really good at, with wood. I'm, you know, it, we, we try to attain it through doing something. But identity comes from the Father. And just like the Father said to Jesus, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. See that? What was he doing? He was speaking identity into his son. And he would need that for the things that he would encounter, the, the challenges he would experience, the temptation in the wilderness. He would need that to know who he was in God. And see, as you know who you are in God, that, that is what releases you into God's plan and purpose for your life. It's, see, and it also releases you into serving others. Your identity in Christ is what releases you to be the greatest servant of all. Now, Jesus not only talked about servanthood, about being a servant, but he demonstrated it over and over again. I, I want to look at one of those places for a moment today. Uh, John chapter 13. Now, the context is this. They've just had the Last Supper. This is the night that Jesus will be arrested. But between this and that is John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. All in the same evening. It's like Jesus knows that he's going to be taken from his disciples, so he just pours out his heart to them and gives them the things that they really need when he's going to be gone. Oh, it's such a rich, rich portion of Scripture. But this is what he says in verse 3 of John 13. This is what it says. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God. Talk about identity. Jesus knew who he was. He knew his identity. He knew where he came from. He knew where he was going. He knew God's purpose for his life. 
But look what he did with that revelation of identity. Verse 4. He rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. Verse 5. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. In the midst of this amazing revelation of who he was, he began to serve his disciples. The revelation of, of who he was released him to serve others. You know, there's a lot of teaching today about identity. And rightly so. It's very important for us to know who we are and how God sees us. Uh, and and I, it's very important. We need to know that. But I can always tell when someone really gets it. I can always tell when it clicks because no task is beneath them. They will do whatever needs to be done. Their fulfillment comes out of their relationship with the Father and it's poured out into serving others. This is what body life looks like. And we are, as, as the brother said earlier, we're called to love one another with the love that God has for us. Not, not human love, not, not me trying to stir something up, but actually the love of God. The love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read this, but I'm going to give you the address to look at it later today. This passage tells us to cultivate our relationship with God and then nurture and cultivate our relationship with the body. The body of Christ includes every single one of us who has been drawn into a relationship with Jesus Christ and he plants each one of us in a local church, a family. And we all stand on level ground. There is no room for, for some to be rock stars and for others to feel left out or excluded. We are all on the same level. And we all have a part to play. I can't do your part, you can't do mine. We each have a purpose to fulfill in the body of Christ and no role is more important than another. We are all called to fulfill our role and as each joint supplies, as each part of the body does their part, the whole body is edified in love. Now I'm going to give you another address. Ephesians 4, 7 through 16. Again, I'm not going to take the time to read these scriptures. I would encourage you to do that this afternoon, though. I want to try to summarize this passage. God gave the fivefold ministry, apostle, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, for the purpose of equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. 
Now, he didn't give the apostle, prophet, pastor, evangelist, teacher to do the work of the ministry. He gave them to empower or equip the saints into effective ministry so that the whole body could be edified. And it, it, this passage talks about a, a coming into the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God that, that in each local church, I'm talking too fast. Lo siento. Um, I do. I get excited and I talk fast. That in every local church, there would come an expression of Jesus Christ. The measure of the stature, the fullness of Christ. How, how can Jesus be perfectly expressed through a local church? By a body of believers speaking the truth in love. And see, that's the part where we allow others to speak into our lives. And growing up in all things into him who is the head, by whom the whole body joined and knit together, but by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, it causes the, the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Wow, I just tried to say a mouthful there. But that's a powerful portion of scripture, of the body of Christ. I want to invite the worship team to come. And I'm going to invite you to stand this morning because I, I want to pray. And uh, could we sing that last song, Sarah? Did I, did I make, is that the song you were choosing? Okay, good. Awesome. I can hear God. Let's stand together. I, I just want to pray for you this morning. In fact, before we pray, I want to say this. If you're watching online or if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus personally, that's the most amazing thing that you can experience. You were created by a God who loves you. And life, real life, is only found when you're connected to your creator. That's where you find your purpose. That's when you realize why you're here. Life can be so confusing and, and, and so such a struggle until we get connected to the one who knows us better than anyone else, the one who created us. And so I, I just want to invite you this morning, if I'm describing you, would you just pray this prayer with me? Heavenly Father, I invite you into my life. Come and take charge of my life. I want to live for you. I want to serve you. Let your forgiveness come to me. I believe in Jesus. I believe that you raised him from the dead. And I believe that he is my Savior and my Lord. Thank you, Father, for new life in you. I give you praise. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, you, you've, you've done something that is amazing. You've stepped out of just a, a natural existence into a connection with the God who loves you. And I want to encourage you to connect with other Christians. 
and, and share the testimony. Share, share with others what God has done in your life. Now, I want to invite all of us to pray this this morning. Father, thank you for saving me and inviting me into your family. We are children of the living God. Help us to catch your heart in all things. Help us to understand who we are in you, our identity. Help us to do family life well. Holy Spirit, empower us to serve one another. Empower us to lay down our lives for each other. Father, let, let the world be drawn to you as they see how we love one another. In Jesus' name. Your 
Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus, you silence fear. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus. Amen. Holy Spirit, we just thank you for being here. Lord, thank you for stirring our hearts. Thank you for taking of the things that were shared and, and just putting it in our heart just the way you desire it to be there. Thank you for your goodness to us, Lord. I want to invite prayer teams to come and just be available this morning to pray for people. The benediction I want to give you is, is Galatians 1, verses 3 through 5. Grace to you and, and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I've got a word of knowledge for healing in this area. Please see me if that's you this morning. God bless you, saints. Have a great week.